0: People need to be able to think, speak, and act without self restraint As an academic scientist, I have had the privilege of working with prescient giants in the field, such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Zev Zelenko, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, and Dr. Harvey Wish. This is America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome to my Liberty Hour. I am Dr. Paul Alexander. Welcome to the America Out Loud talk radio, brought to you by Malcolm and company. And you are listening to the America Out Loud, uh, Dr. Paul Alexander Liberty Hour on America Out Loud. And I want to say thank you very much and extend my appreciation that you returned uh, to listen to this hour, uh, where we're trying to bring you uh, unedited, uh, uncancelled data, information, political information, social information, disease information regarding to the fraud pandemic that we've lived through for three, three and a half years. And uh, just remember that um, this wouldn't be possible without people like Malcolm, the America Outlaw platform, helping people like Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Harvey Reish myself, uh, Dr. Peter Bregan, his wife, Ginger Bregan, all of these real, real champions and soldiers who've been on the forefront from day one fighting the work-cancel culture. With myself, with other good people like Dr. Ramanoski, um, sadly he has passed away. He started this, uh, Dr. Joel Adapo. Uh, we got together in the beginning to begin this push as we worked with Zelenko to develop the early treatment paradigm. And as you know, persons like myself were against the lockdowns and the school closures, business closures, mask mandates, et cetera, from day one, because we realized from the evidence, the evidence that had accumulated over decades, that lockdowns, et cetera, would, 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 would result in the harming and the killing of people and would not function in any capacity to curb transmission or, or, or deaths. And it's exactly what we saw. We could find no evidence today, still, across the world. No study, no data that shows that any lockdown, anywhere in the world worked. Across the world for the last three, three and a half years, no school closure worked, no mass mandate worked. It was all a fraud. I've tried in my last programs to let you know my own opinion that COVID, in its entirety, This virus, this pandemic, et cetera, was a lie. Yes, I know we lost people. We lost some vulnerable people. Yes, common colds, influenza, RSV virus, normal viruses, benign, low pathological viruses to the general population will not be so devastating. But to elderly people, people over 80, 85, with underlying medical conditions, a normal common cold will kill them. And this is a fact of life. And you, you can't be offended by what I'm saying. Because you know, your parents and grandparents, they die. Because often people who are elderly with underlying medical conditions, remember, the immune system as we've gotten older is shot. It's not compliant and it's non-functional. So those are the people we, 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 we strongly protect. And we make reasonable precautions and we take safeguards. Because they don't have a functional, innate, acquired, adaptive immune system or response like you, and we call that immunosenescence. Immunoimmunosenescence, and that is the decline of the immune system as a consequence of aging. That is why elderly people are very susceptible. Especially if you took an older person into the emergency room of a hospital quite often, they could develop what we call iatrogenic infection, which means disease, et cetera, that they did not go there with. And if they spend a few days there, they could develop very, very serious complications like Clostridium C. difficile, Clostridium difficile, um, staph infections, all sorts of infections acquired. There's always diarrheal outbreak. There's always some sort of outbreak of something in a hospital any kind of congregated setting, congregated means when many people are there uh, in an enclosed environment uh, where there's a lot of staff, a lot of movement, a lot of linen, a lot of utensils and stuff, and a lot of moving parts, you would find that there's a slip up on one patient with, with a diarrhea outbreak, some sort of infection. By the time that linen, if it's not Dealt with properly, and if there's cross contamination across the room, across the gloves, across the linen, you know, I mean, I don't have to get into things like autoclaving and heat, and um, and and high heat laundry facilities. If there's any gap, and that person is is infected, and their bodily fluids are on linen, etc., they will actually transmit across the hospital the nurses or the aides who are are handling them would be the conduit. So we know that. And we know granny would enter with some little issue and may end up getting some infection. Then you have to ask granny to stay for a couple of days so she she can recover. And it's when she's laying down, what you're not understanding is that pneumonia, remember the bacteria pneumococcus pneumonia, pneumonia is always in the lung, low-level, benign, in and out, and your immune system deals with it. But when an elderly person lays down, even a healthy young person for a period of time, and there's, and there's stagnation, etc., the bacteria proliferates, and um, that person could develop very serious pneumonia and even sepsis very rapidly, and they will die. And many times you go to bed at night in all of the hospitals and nursing homes in your city, society, and country, Elderly people die and they get taken away to the morgue during the night while you sleep from a common cold because they got pneumonia, sadly. But it's a fact of life. It happens every day, it always happens. COVID, coronavirus, was going to take in a natural pandemic. I want you to understand how I'm explaining it. In a natural pandemic, we normally see, especially in a naive population, we see the initial first curve, the first peak, and it's often followed by a second wave. And at times a third wave, but they all will come down as we get to herd immunity and what we call endemicity, endemicity where uh, the pathogen, the disease in an, in an endemic phase. So um, the problem is, though, that what we saw with COVID, especially when we brought the vaccines, is that the waves were not coming back down to baseline. They were staying very elevated. So there was a lot of virus out there in the environment. And in fact, the waves, the peaks were becoming very close together and they were coming successively higher. So there was no getting back to baseline or herd immunity. What I'm trying to say is that our elderly people were vulnerable. Whether they created this in a laboratory, but we know they did some, this this is not natural spillover. This is not a zoonotic infection that's naturally spilled over. Whether it was Department of Defense, and we have strong evidence of that, in combination with NIH, which is Francis Collins, NIAID, which is Anthony Fauci, um, Ralph Barrick, and uh, Peter Daszak, the people from Echo Health, and University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, whether it was in conjunction with Wuhan uh, Virology Lab, whether it was labs in the United States, we have evidence of labs in the Ukraine, they were fooling around with bad coronaviruses. They were. And they were, and and I am convinced today in all that I know, based on my biological warfare training, based on my time in the administration, I believe that high-level people in the government were operating in a dark way, in a secret way. Their own research, whether it was whether it was uh, approved by Department of Defense, but as a dark operation, so not on the books. Because you remember, I believe Nixon had um, had said, was it Nixon or Ford? I'm not. I'm trying to remember which president, but I believe actually it might have been Nixon that that it was he put a moratorium on this research. Because it was so dangerous. So is what happened subsequent to that? Did 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 the CIA, did the Department of Defense take the coronavirus research off the books? And were they with Fauci and, and Francis Collins et al.? I mean, there's so much information out there. It boggles the mind as to whether we may come to find out that the coronavirus was actually America-created in America labs, using America taxpayers' money, shopped out across the seas even to to China, to Wuhan, to wherever. And that it is is a mistake on the American side in the handling that it got out. Something got out. Some sort of pathogen that caused respiratory-type conditions and symptoms initially that killed the low-hanging fruit, I call it, which is our elderly. And it did. In January, February, March of 2020, we lost some people, I admit. But then the debt hospitalization declined rapidly. And my argument is that the debts and the hospitalizations, etc., post that, was driven by the handling of people in the medical system. No longer by this path agenda was released. I believe that something escaped somewhere, and it has to do with that 2015 publication in Nature by Mina Cherry and Barak et al., where they stated that they created a chimeric virus based on on the um, the spike of a of 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 the bat, on uh, stitched on to the backbone of the mouse uh, coronavirus, and they created this chimeric coronavirus. And um, bat and mouse components, spike from the bat, I believe, and backbone, viral backbone from the mouse. And they said it was a human pandemic potential replicated very efficiently and effectively in upper human areas, and that they tried different vaccines and monoclonal antibodies, different drugs, treatments, and nothing worked. It was almost that they were scared, but yet they published it in Nature telling us the madness that they did. I believe it has something to do with that, whether just before that or just after, and something got loose. I believe it was circulating for several years in a very low-level, benign situation that it was captured as common colds or influenza. Nobody was looking for it because it was kept secret. I believe Fauci and Francis Collins, and they knew what they did with Ralph, with, with Peter Dazak and Ralph Barak, and... North Carolina and Wuhan, years ago. And I believe that it was so benign that they didn't have to let the public... They decided, not they didn't have to, they decided that they were not going to tell the public or the world because it was was operating like a common cold. In other words, if it was that this was a Department of Defense program to create a battlefield military weapon where the United States could develop a coronavirus strain that they could use on a battlefield, thinking that China and India and other countries are doing the same, Soviet Union. And so they were, we were going to develop one also, and they, were, they, were, they would be able to research it so they could figure out antidotes, etc. I believe, this is what I believe, I believe that if their intent was to create a pathological virus for the battlefield, that they failed. I believe the experiment went bad. And to the extent that they failed in that, they created something that was infectious. So the good news for that is that whatever got out was not lethal, but it was highly contagious and it was low level pathogen, pathological capacity. So that it was circulating worldwide. And I'm saying a bunch of things that might sound confusing to you, but what I'm trying to say is it is likely that the entire world was already immune had some level of population immunity. In other words, I'm trying to say that this was circulating across the world and that our immune system saw it and we were already immune. So when January of 2020 came along, we were not seeing this virus for the first time, our immune systems, whatever it was. And the only people I'm arguing that were susceptible as normal would be elderly people who are over 80, 85 with underlying medical conditions. And we got to find out that highly obese people had a higher risk of death and they died. A lot of nurses, a lot of African-American people who were frontline nurses, etc. It seems that COVID exploited the risk factors and obesity emerged as a super loaded risk factor. There was some good research that came out to show that the ACE2 receptor the angiotensin-converting enzyme receptor on the cell surfaces of the epithelial cells, et cetera, even endothelial cells, that uh, they, they were expressed at higher numbers in in um, fat tissue, adipose tissue. And that is why uh, obese persons succumb. Uh, look, there's so many things we can talk about, so much that we've learned. But the bottom line is, I am trying to say, is that whatever they, they did in terms of a battlefield weapon, bioweapon, it failed. But whatever it was was released, and that's what we were dealing with. That's what we were dealing with for the last three years, and it is still here. Whatever it is, Fauci and they did it got out, and now we are dealing with variant after variant. Why we we suffered most deaths by the inept, incompetent killer way that our people, our parents, and grandparents, and our family and co-workers were handled in the hospital because they were given a fraud over cycle PCR test that was 97% false positive. They were never COVID infected. But once you went to the hospital with a little cough, they sucked you into the black hole. They put you into the back room. They designated you COVID because those hospitals and doctors were going to get incentivized with money. That's under the PREP Act. Read it. So they took you in. Then what did they do? They sedated them. They gave them Mydazolam, um, which is a paralytic you use in the execution chamber when you're putting somebody to death. They gave them diamorphine. They gave them a bunch of toxic drugs to sedate and comatose, our parents and grandparents, so they would not be combative in the hospital. What happened to granny? She was isolated. She became dehydrated and malnourished because she could not move. She couldn't even communicate. So she was began to die. She got onto a death spiral. And from there, what they did was pumped her with more toxic drugs. The word came down from CDC and Health Canada: do not treat with antibiotics when we knew that in the Spanish flu, vast majority of people who died was not from the influenza; it was from bacterial infections secondary to the viral infection. These people had pneumonia. Many of our elderly and grandparents died because they had pneumonia that needed antibiotics, and the governments told the doctors no. So, they, they were not treated with antibiotics. They got do not resuscitate orders. They were pumped with remdesivir, kidney and liver toxic that killed them. And when that didn't kill them, we put them on a ventilator that blew holes in their lungs and killed them. We're going to go to segment two short time.
1: Cofix Rx nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix Rx. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. For
0: 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally.
1: We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought
0: This is Dr. Paul Alexander, and I'm welcoming you back to the second segment of the Dr. Paul Alexander Liberty Hour on America Outlaw Talk Radio. You know that my shows, our shows, McCullough shows, Risha shows, um, our um, talk shows go to podcast the following day, just after it's shown. You can hear it on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and this iHeartRadio network is just tremendous and phenomenal. It is helping us in this work-cancel culture continue to spread important information to the public um, because we are cancelled and we we are not allowed onto the legacy media uh, so we need people like Malcolm in the America outlaw platform to get us out there so I want to thank Malcolm again for his tremendous advocacy and his help to keep the information flowing and for standing up standing up to this to these fraud governments and these officials in these systems. Standing up to all of the efforts to stifle, to stifle information and to prevent the American people from knowing the truth. It is people like Malcolm and they who've helped over the years to make sure that Americans were properly informed and educated about the true nature of the COVID pandemic, the fraud non-pandemic, which has 0.05% infection fatality rate, not the 3.4% that fraud killer. the uh, the Director General of the who? What do you call him? Tedros. Tedros, the fraud killer. Not the 3.4% that Fauci spoke about parroting Tedros. 3.4%. If this was a 3.4% mortality rate, that would have been a serious problem for the global community. And and even that we could have managed because we had MERS coming through with a 40% mortality in 2012. We had SARS-1 with a mortality rate of 10%. Uh, In 2000, uh, I believe SARS one was 2002, 2003. The bottom line is, the bottom line is this. If a viral infection, a respiratory viral infection causing respiratory symptoms, influenza-like symptoms, flu-like symptoms was coming through a population, you know that if you do nothing and you step back, you will have a first, second, and maybe third wave and it will settle down you know that it will kill some elderly people who are vulnerable. It will kill immunocompromised people. There's nothing we can do about that. And that was the argument that we were making. But you don't, you don't do what we did. You don't lock the society down. You don't close schools because even Dr. Donald Henderson, D.A. Henderson, who functioned to eradicate smallpox in the 1960s, 1970s, I actually had the pleasure and the privilege of working with Dr. Henderson and Johns Hopkins in 2001. I did a program in biological warfare, bioterrorism. Then Johns Hopkins was putting up a bioterrorism school in 2001 because there was a lot of chatter uh, around the world about uh, bad actors, militant Islamists from across the world. Uh, Even in East Bloc countries trying to put their hands on a suitcase, battlefield, nuclear weapon, chemical weapon. Bioweapon and uh <clears throat> Johns Hopkins began this program on uh, and um how how you would weaponize pathogen and what would be the epidemiological implications to a city such as Baltimore. And we use Baltimore as a tabletop if like a if like smallpox or plague or Q fever tularemia etc was weaponized and converted into a powder or some form and put on a nuclear and put on a missile tip and delivered into a city or, or disseminated through the sewer system, through the water system or through the sewer system. It comes up through the sewer gr- grates at night while you sleep in some form of aerosolized vapor. So we needed to study it. So I studied that under Dr. Henderson, Dr. Engels, Engelsby, Dr. Taro, Toole, etc. Uh, Henderson and me became friends over time because I was considering a doctorate at Johns Hopkins in biological warfare we had a lot of extensive conversations, emails. <clears throat> and at the same time, I was thinking about a career in evidence-based medicine, um, clinical epidemiology. And I was talking to Dr. Gordon Guyatt uh, out of McMaster University. They founded evidence-based medicine field. Dr. Guyatt was one of the founders. At the end of the day, McMaster put me on a scholarship. I had a full scholarship. A teaching, I was teaching also. Um, I couldn't get the same funding at Johns Hopkins and I was not a legal resident of the United States at that point. So I took the option to go to McMaster although I went back at that point to Oxford to read for a graduate degree in evidence-based medicine. So the point is I learned a lot about biological warfare and bioterrorism from D.A. Henderson, Dr. Henderson. And why I went into that diatribe is Henderson wrote a paper in 2006, Dr. Donald Henderson, And uh, uh, what, basically, what he was trying to say is, how do we optimally respond in a pandemic? You know, uh, what what are the steps that we should take and that we should not take? And what Henderson wrote back then in 2006 was prescient. Um, He tried to explain that you do nothing in a pandemic, but all you do is basically... You leave the society alone and you let the society function. And this is what I argued. I argued how a free society should deal with a pandemic. Remember, since I was in the Trump administration in 2020, I've been on the inside fighting and banging away at Fauci, at Burks, all of them, at Han, everyone, and um, trying to explain to them that everything that we were doing was wrong. So even today, I have credibility because while I still support President Trump, I also bang away at Trump because the the lockdowns happened under him and the vaccine operation warped speed. But I give him the credit because he was misled and lied to by Fauci and Berkson because he trusted their counsel as the doctors and scientists. But they lied to him and they they misled him. But my argument was clear. People like me, people like Dr. Scott Atlas, we came out of the gate, even Alex Berenson. But he not being a scientist, but he was on the fringes And he's a smart guy. But Atlas and me, Atlas was in the Eisenhower building in the White House. I was at the Health and Human Services building on 200 Independence, opposite the Capitol. In that building had Redfield, Hahn, Girard. The task force worked in my building and reported to my bosses every day. So I dealt with these people and um, because they all had sub-offices because they had to go over to Congress daily and they had to do the task force dog and pony podium show every day but what were you trying to show what i was arguing is with atlas is look in a natural pandemic natural meaning you let it behave normally normally in a normal good governance society i'm not talking about a socialist or a fascist society i'm talking about a good governance society you settle down and you calm down you strongly protect the vulnerable people in your society That's the elderly, high-risk people, the immunocompromised people. That's people with underlying medical conditions, and we go to know obese people too. But you protect them. You take reasonable, sensible precautions, but you let everyone else in society, including your infants and children, you let them live free, unfettered lives. Why? Especially children and young people. Infants, they come with a very potent, broadly protective, immunologically naive, I would argue, too, but it's so broadly protective innate immune system with its innate antibodies and natural killer cells that will clear out the virus. First contact, we knew that there's in, that innate immune system functions at the level of the mucosal layer in the nostrils nasal nasopharyngeal passage down the digestive tract, down the respiratory tract. We knew that in that mucosal layer, is a very potent immune system with, with a particularly particular antibodies called IgA. We call it SigA, S-I-G-A, secretory A. It's, just, it's secreted from the mucosal cells. We, we just found out from Dr. Robert Clancy, profound information I will share here too. Clancy is actually laying it out that the actual immune response that we talk about at the mucosal level actually begins in the stomach, in your gut. That's in your gut microbiota that your immune response begins. And generally how he explained, he's an immunologist with with, with a focus on the innate response to these viruses with mucosal expertise. And he's saying that generally what is happening is we as human beings, if you know, I want to get back to, uh, to Dr. Henderson. But what he's saying is, you know, you know, during the day you are secreting copious amounts large amounts of mucus as you go along in the day, in your nostrils, in your throat, in the back of your throat, and you're constantly swallowing the mucus. And what he's argued, he argued is, in that mucus is all of the bacteria, the pollen, the toxins, and the viruses that you encounter in the environment throughout the day. Once it it's trapped in the mucus, that's the purpose of the mucus, and you swallow it, it goes into your stomach, <clears throat> and it goes into immune areas in your gut, microbiota. And, and it begins an immune response there. <clears throat> and those cells are kicked back up to the lungs, to the respiratory system, the, the, the area conduit system. And, the, and that innate immune response begins there. And that is where we know your first line of defense and then the acquired adaptive defense systemically subsequently. So it's a very fascinating, fascinating piece of information. But what I'm trying to say is this. Um, What we did was wrong. What we did was wrong, devastatingly wrong with the lockdowns and the school closures. We did devastating things to our society. And when you consider Henderson's work, and I had the opportunity to talk to him and I've read his work. It was fascinating what he did and what he said. Because what he's trying to say is this. The, the experience showed us that we knew, and this is the argument me and Atlas was making, that, that any community faced with an epidemic <clears throat> or any kind of adverse crisis, even a chemical spill, even a, bio, a, 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 a nuclear attack, even using a suitcase nuclear bomb, you respond best. You are able to cope and respond with the least anxiety <clears throat> when you are along normal societal function of the of the society and the community in at least disruptive a manner as as possible. What do I mean? No lockdowns. That's what I mean. No school closures. We should have never taken Johnny and Susie out of school. Johnny and Susie needed to be in school because Johnny and Susie needed to be exposed to any circulating pathogen naturally and harmlessly because their innate immune system would have dealt with it they would have contributed to herd immunity for the larger population society. They would have taken pathogen home and primed and taxed and tuned up the immune systems of the, of the elderly at home in, 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 a, in a fascinating way. In other words, we even have research to show that homes that had children versus homes that had no children, it's the homes with no children that had higher rates of infection and death in the, in the parents and the elderly. Children protect. Children protect their parents and the elderly. It's the children's immune system that is a buffer and helps contribute to herd immunity. <clears throat> we needed the type of political and public health leadership that failed. In Canada, it failed. Trudeau, he had a bunch of inept morons, doofus, moron, incompetent so-called scientists in Howard New, Theresa Tam, superior Sharma and these people. These people were clueless in immunology, clueless in vaccinology, clueless in virology. We had Fauci at CDC, Francis Collins NIH. We had Redfield, <coughs> Fauci at NIEID, I mean. We had these people, Azar, heading HH. HHA. These people were so stupid what they did to America. They did not have the type of leadership, no expertise to even provide reassurance to the public. That they didn't knew what they were doing. We had a clown car show every day. Do you know that in Canada, eighty percent of the people who went into old age homes died. The highest rates of death happened in the old age homes, assisted living homes, long term care facility homes in Canada, in the world, and specifically in a province called Ontario. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. They killed. You remember that movie, The Killing Fields? Well, it was like Killing Fields. In Canada, <clears throat> if you don't, if you if you overreact and you lock the society down, as they even did in China, you could take a manageable situation, a manageable epidemic, or even if it was a pandemic, and this was never a pandemic, COVID was, COVID was a PCR manufactured over cycled threshold pandemic, because we knew that over 24 cycles, you will not detecting infectious or pathological virus. Yet we were cycling at 40 and 45 in Canada, Public Health Agency and Health Canada directions, CDC and NIH and FDA in America. 45 amplifications. We were detecting viral dust fragments, non-culturable, non-viable pathogen. We were locking society down and closing schools for no reason. 97% false positive. We took a manageable situation. We created a lie. Why? To topple Trump. History will show this was to destroy President Trump and destroy America. And they did. President Trump was, did not become the president. We moved it into catastrophe. And what I'm trying to say is <clears throat> Henderson's most potent, potent, potent words to me was when he tried to explain that in the end that... um. Things like lockdowns, school closures, business closures, you know, um, quarantine, mass testing, mass quarantine of asymptomatic people. He tried to argue that the most important thing that you do in an epidemic, in any kind of outbreak, even low level outbreak, even up to the pandemic is you leave the society open. You leave it functioning as normal, no no controls. You strongly protect the vulnerable people. You know what to do. You'll figure it out. Your parents in your home. You know what to do with them and your grandparents. All you do is you increase hand washing, and you only keep sick and well people at home. If you're sick and unwell, don't go to school, don't go to work. That's it. Make that decision, and that's how you get through something like this. We were not dealing with a pathogen that had a 10% mortality, even 5% or 2%. We know now that COVID infection fatality was to 0.05%, 0.04% means corrected for persons 70 to 75 and below. Your chance of survival bumping up into COVID in January of 2020 was 99.998% if you were 70 years and below. 100%! They never told you that. They never told you that across the entire pandemic today, when we look at the data, we can see across Sweden, across the United Kingdom, across France, across Germany, across America, I am going to tell you a statistic that you need to share with Dr. Marty McCarry from Johns Hopkins, myself. We all looked at the data. We can find not one across the three years of this fraud not one healthy child in America got exposed to COVID, got infected, got severely ill, or died. Not one. Anytime they brought, we looked at the autopsy data, we looked at the data. Any child that they said, this child died of COVID, we can show them that this child had illness, that absent of COVID, they were going to die. They did not die of COVID, they died of advanced cancer, advanced renal failure, diabetes. No healthy child died of COVID
1: world-class care from doctors you can trust all from the comfort of your home that is one wellness dr peter mccullough and his team at the wellness company designed the one wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values go to outloudcare.com today and use code outloud for 25 percent off your first month of one wellness changing the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
0: Hey, welcome back to the third segment of the Dr. Paul Alexander's Liberty Hour. In the America Out Loud talk radio uh, talk show. And um, you're listening to Dr. Paul Alexander and... Um, I guess, you know, I've said it before, and I wanted to thank um, to Malcolm. I, I guess I won't go into that much length, but we really have a really, really tremendous opportunity here with Malcolm and his outfit that they allow us to speak out. Um, I've spoken about many topics today. <clears throat> and um, for this to remember, I wanted to remind you of something. You could find my uh, my work, my work on COVID, and my political views and stuff on President Trump. I am on the Trump train, and I want to help him get reelected. And in my view, the President Trump was toppled from his presidency by Fauci, Bergs, Israel, the task force, the deep state cabal, the media, academia, dark forces. Um, yeah, I know there were wrong things done with the votes, but I think Trump, I think what Fauci, and they, 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 they deliberately destroyed America and the economy with the lockdowns and the school closures, et cetera. And I came back and it hurt Trump. It hurt him at the polls. I don't care what anyone says. And we knew the internal, internal polls too. Um, the point I'm making is that uh, America remains the greatest country on earth. And, and, and actually, if America falls unfolds. The rest of the world falls. So I want to say it that way to you. And you know, I've been, I've been fighting with people like McCullough, etc. Oscri, Tenenbaum, Dr. Harvey Reish. We've been, we've been out there on the forefront and uh, it's been three, three and a half years. What I wanted to touch base on today is that uh, at this point is <clears throat> I wanted to remind you that this the virus and the vaccine, the virus itself, on the viral ball, there's this attachment, you know, as the, the spike glycoprotein. It's a molecule that is composed of several other sub, subunits. <clears throat> and these collectively form the spike protein, which, that spike protein on the viral ball interfaces with the ACE2 receptor on the host cell. <clears throat> and the spike has subunits S1, S2 that must interface with the receptor, the receptor binding site. On the spike protein, the ACE2 receptor will interface and um, cause entry of the virus into the cell, at least the genetic material from the virus. And that involves really the fusion of the viral outer membrane, outer coat, and the host cell outer membrane. And it involves the S1, S2 unit, demasking, unmasking, some conformational changes, etc., so that the content of the virus, the genetic material, the messenger RNA could be degouged or poured into the cytosol. That's the liquid medium outside of the nucleus of the cell. Uh, the reality about it is that we found that um, the spike protein persists in your blood, in your tissues, uh, long term. We were told by the manufacturers, Pfizer, Moderna, et cetera, people like Fauci and Burks, <clears throat> all of those involved with the vaccine development, Sahin from BioNTech, etc. Um, the CDC directors, Rochelle Wolinski. Ashish Jha, from uh, Biden Advisor, that several important things that were all turned out to be lies, that there would be no reverse transcription from the genetic material of the virus into the host DNA, that we've seen all that that was a lie, but there is reverse transcription in a matter of hours. One, that, that can have catastrophic effects on your human genome. Two. We found out that the spike does not dissolve, as they said, quickly and instantly. No, the spike persists, the spike protein itself in, in subunits and fragments of the spike, including fragments of messenger RNA that they put into you, into the vaccine. It persists for months and uh, years. Years now, we have data over one year, going to be two years. We have this data, and the data is clear. The spike remains. And the issue is the spike is what we call an endothelial pathogen. It's very toxic and pathological. Causing bleeding, clotting, VITT vaccine-induced thrombotic, thrombocytopenia, papura. Um, it causes paralysis, guillain syndrome. A range of very catastrophic issues. The spike protein itself, we, we found that if we purify spike without a viral ball, just take the spike alone and put it into the system, in the animal model, in, in, in silico, in vitro, we could find that the spike itself is very toxic. So the question is, people come up to us after we give speeches or they write us or call people like McCullough, myself, et cetera, and this world. How do we get the spike out of us? We took the shot. We just want it out. Some people have not taken the shot but they just want to spike out because they believe they were exposed or they were exposed and they got infected and now they have recovered. But but the issue is the spike persists because, remember, we are arguing that Moderna, Pfizer, et cetera, they, they place molecular caps on the mRNA strands. They replace the uridine, uracil, nucleoside-based, um, with a methylated pseudouracil and this is supposed to hide because normally if you didn't inject the messenger RNA, if you would have put that synthetic messenger RNA into the vaccine and just injected it into you our immune system would detect it as a foreign uh, product, a foreign molecule and attack it for destruction so attack the lipid nanoparticle etc. and destroy it so whatever intent they had For the content of the vaccine, it would have never even gotten off the floor. But we know now that the vaccine leaves the deltoid injection site. They lied and they told us, no, it will not, but it does. It has to leave the injection site. The fact that they enwrapped it and encased it in a lipid nanoparticle, that phospholipid bilayer complex, meant that they knew they wanted it to get deep and far within the body, to cross the blood-brain barrier, etc., the blood-lung barrier. So, so the truth of the matter is that to protect the messenger RNA and the content of the vaccine, they had to hide the messenger RNA from our immune system. And they did that by swapping out the uracil, or what some call uridine, from methylated uracil. And that one nucleoside base change hides that molecule from our immune system. And that is why it can survive to get into the uh, into the cytosol of the host cells. And that's why it hooks on. I mean, I'm not getting into all of the biochemistry here. It's just as it hooks on to the ribosome. And from there, um, the spike protein is translated. But there's also still some steps. that. The spike protein also has to be processed at a higher level. Some steps, a cascade of events with the, with the endoplasmic reticulum uh, as part of that ribosomal machinery, the cellular machinery. The Golgi, G-O-L-G-I, the Golgi or Golgi apparatus also. I know you all could remember this from your biology grade 9, grade 10, grade 11. <sighs> to process the finished translated. Protein in this case is spike protein, and the spike protein migrates to the membrane of the cell that the spike protein was produced in, and sits on the membrane, and is exposed to the outer side of the membrane. And then the immune system is supposed to, you know, there are all of these different um, dendritic presenting cells, blah blah blah. Well, I should not say blah blah blah. I mean, this is a scientific discussion, but. You know, I'm trying to condense it for you. Point is though that when the immune system sees this foreign protein, it's not just about provoking an immunological response. The immune system has killer lymphocytes, killer T cells among itself. But once it detects any foreign protein being produced in a cell in the body, once it sees it sitting there on the membrane, once it sees the molecular garbage because it's part of a molecular. Um, reaction the cell produces, that chemical reaction or process produces byproducts, end products, waste products. We call that molecular garbage. That's the positive, door of the cell, so to speak. Once the immune system sees that type of molecular garbage it knows that the cell is doing something it should not be doing. And it therefore flags that, marks that cell, and it attacks that cell to destroy it. And that's where for like the myocardial cells of the heart, when they produce the spike, the immune system sees it and attacks the heart cells and then the larger tissue, so to speak. And that's where the heart gets the inflammation and the myocarditis and the pericarditis, etc. cetera. And uh, you have a host of other immune system responding, coming into place. You have well, it's not just the innate and the acquired adaptive immune. Mean, you also have the third branch, which is the complement system, bores holes into the tissue, etc. And it's a catastrophic event at that point. What I'm trying to say is that, is that um, despite protein is deadly, and we need to get it out of us. And the wellness company, Foster Coulson's wellness company, came up with a formula where um, this this product, natokinase, this enzyme, natural enzyme, it's a natural fibrolytic, fibrolytic, um fibrolytic, um blood thinning enzyme. It's part of a formula to um, to dissolve the spike protein, to to bust it up. And some preliminary observational research is showing us that the spike protein can be dissolved and distilled by natokinase. And McCullough and TWC, we've come up with a triple track, a triple formula that's composed of natokinase, about 100 milligrams a day, orally twice a day. So it's 200 milligrams. You don't need food with it. Um, there's also a second product as part of this triple combination formula. It's called bromelain, B-R-O-M-E-L-A-I-N, 500 milligrams also orally twice a day. Again, without food. And then there's curc- curcumin, C-U-R-C-U-M-I-N, 500 milligrams already twice a day also. So all of these, these three, natokinase, bromelain, and curcumin, twice a day. And uh, we found that this triple threat attack can function to dissolve the spike protein. So the point is it will not have a long-lasting effect on you and go on to produce serious damage. So I wanted to touch base on that again uh, today for you to consider um, given the toxic the toxic effects of the spike protein. Um, what I think is important also to talk about today is um, right now there's this ongoing um, a feud, so to speak, between Renette Senum and Dr. Simon Gould. And um, there's a lawsuits flying back and forth between the two. I know both parties well. I know Renette very well. Um, I would hope that these people will resolve the issues. Um, I saw there was something on the news about how me, as a former Trump official, ended up in the Canadian Ottawa trucker convoy, melee, and the U.S. convoy. As you know, I spoke on stage with the Canadian and U.S. trucker convoy, and I stayed with them throughout the convoy across America. Um, I've written a sub-stack, and I will be blunt. It's, I, I, I hold no, I pull no punches, and, I, and, and the title of my sub-stack is this. Hang them all high for what they did to Trump. Hang them, I say, all involved. Politicians too. CDC officials and FDA NIH Health Canada anyone. I'm saying that once a court and a judge looks at the evidence and we have a proper tribunal hearing and says that capital punishment is in order, it's beyond just finding somebody financially or putting them in jail. If if judges find that these people like Fauci Burks, Wolinsky, Ja, Hahn, all of these people. If their policies and the decisions costed lives needlessly and innocent people die and that the judges and juries say that these people should be put to death, I say put them to death. I'm not going to say no. I'm going to follow what the judges say. These people must be, must sit down in a, in a hearing at some point to explain their, their role in the COVID lunacy. And I've written this substack. You can find it on Alexander COVID News. Just just Google A L E X A N D E R space COVID space news, and you would see all of my writings, and it's free. You can join for free, as well as there's a twenty nine dollar membership for the year. But if you if you want, you can just be a free member. And um, I've said before, very bluntly, that if these people did nothing wrong, then we celebrate them and we praise them, yet we punish them if we show in proper courts, that they cause people to die needlessly. Because we cannot let this go unanswered. We can't. We have to get um, some kind of uh, accountability. And that's why I like President Trump. Because President Trump is all for retribution. And I'm very, very big on retribution. I'm big on... But, but proper retribution. I wanted to talk about a drug that was formally, and this is a very urgent, I'm um, for vengeance, like President Trump, but, but needed vengeance and, and justifiable vengeance and vengeance that falls on is governed in a good governance society and we could even stand up to legal scrutiny. But there's a, there, there was a, a diabetic drug that was brought out for, for people with type 2 diabetes. And what, what people found was that this particular drug, called Wigovic, W-E-G-O-V-Y is one of the street names or how it's sold. Another name is Semaglutide, S-E-M-A-G-L-U-T-I-D. But o or Ozempec, O-Z-E-M-P-I-C. I see it's advertised a lot in, in, in cable right now. But what we're finding is that these, this, this drug that's for diabetics, type 2 diabetes, we found that they lost a lot of weight And somehow or the other, the message went out there and the manufacturers of this drug, a type 2 diabetes drug, is is advertising as a weight loss drug. I need to warn you people. This Ozempec, O-Z-E-M-P-I-C, other name, Wegovy, W-E-G-O-V-Y, this is dangerous. When we look at the proper literature today, we see it. it It causes massive rebound gain, weight gain, but it causes severe damage to the pancreas, the internal organs, uh, cardiovascular issues, etc. Do not be lulled into a sense of complacency and do not think about what are the implications. No pharmaceutical, no drug manufacturer has ever made a drug simply to help you. It was always for profits. And now this manufacturer of Ozempic is trying to fool the public that this is a weight loss drug. No, it's a diabetes drug and it's causing problems for diabetics as is because they are losing massive amounts of waste that put them in a dangerous physiological situation.